space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Never give up, never surrender. <laughs> and hosting us for this very special episode of Retrek, who's on what is six hour now of live broadcasting, Dr. Squee. By Grathbar's hammer or something like that, I shall avenge you. <laughs> So, how, first of all, before we get into our stuff, how's it all going? I've seen some of it, and it seems to be going really well. Oh, it's going wonderfully. Uh, such wonderful guests. I Sorry, everyone's been wonderful, but I do have to give a special shout-out to Ian McNeese for his very generous £100 donation, which uh, makes all the difference. Uh, but everyone's been wonderful. <coughs> all these people giving up their time for free, i just like to shout out everyone um, for, for coming on. Thank you so much. It's just uh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, I kind of always forget though, because you think about like how much it is for doing 24 hours, but then you forget actually just talking and like, you know, thinking for six hours doing interviews and stuff is enough. Yeah, it takes a bit. It's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll talk over you then for the next hour. That's fine. You, you can have a kip if you want, but I'm sure you've got a lot to say about this though. So I don't expect it to be too quiet. So this episode, as anyone who doesn't regularly listen to Retrek, the name's a bit of a giveaway. We do usually talk about Star Trek, but we decided we're doing a special episode for Squeefest, and this is a film we've wanted to get to for a long time. We're going to be talking about 1999's Galaxy Quest, which, just as a side note, 1999, what a year for films. We had The Matrix, Galaxy Quest, Fight Club, it, honestly, just look at the IMDb for 1999. It was phenomenal. Uh, but this one, not slipped under the radar, but, you know, it wasn't up there like, you know, The Phantom Menace was kind of the big sci-fi film of the year, even though it wasn't yeah. great. Yeah, the release is Christmas hoping to have a big Christmas blockbuster, didn't they? Yeah, and it, you know, it did okay and everything, but I think this one's really stood the test of time, particularly, particularly with Star Trek fans. I think there was... Uh, they did like a poll of Star Trek fans a few years ago. And I think this was voted higher than about three of the actual Star Trek films in yeah. best Star Trek films. So, and I, I think we can name two of them at least straight off the bat. Yeah, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, also, and I, I've not been able to like get this substantiated or not, um, but whether it's true or not, it's one of them lovely stories that's out there that apparently... Galaxy Quest began life as a concept that it was actually going to star the original Star Trek crew. And I've heard that rumour. Yeah, mm -hmm. like everything else about the film would be exactly the same. It's just that those would be that. And then some of them were up for it, some of them weren't. Who was up for it or not, you can draw your own conclusions. <laughs> and eventually they just decided, you know what, it's it's going to be easier and better and we'll have more control over it. A certain person not being up for it uh, made it a bit difficult. I would imagine so, yeah. It's so so just... that, that what it is is so much better, I think, for not having them in. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe there's a world in which I don't want more things with the Star Trek crew in. But it became, like I, I was saying when we were talking about doing this episode, that... <clears throat> It's not a direct spoof. It's 
a reimagining basically it's their version of star trek yeah. which then does yeah. spoof it in its own way but it's exactly not such a unique thing that it does i think it's so much more powerful that it's a different cast doing it so you get the parallels but it's not i agree thing. i i think that was the best decision they made so it would have limited it so much like you'd have got the initial sort of buzz from it being oh look it's them guys and they're doing those things but you would have severely limited what you could actually do within the scope of it and you get things like the uh alan rickman's character who a lot of it is clearly spock but they also model him quite a bit on patrick stewart so you get to have these these sort of archetypal characters but also put an original spin on them whereas you couldn't do that with the original star trek crew you yeah. you would have you've got william shatner he's got to be william shatner so yeah i think it was the best decision all round yeah it's amazing like just being able to i, I think it's just such a magic trick to become up with your own world but it parallels it like there's parallels everywhere mm -hmm. but it's not the same thing and that's just such a balancing act to do yeah but they nailed it <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, yeah. like just everything like I've, I've written notes as i've watched it but the, my first notes are just like the opening <laughs> it's just this lovely retro tv show opening and we find out it was saying it was meant to have been an 80s tv show whereas yeah this 81 it had finished yeah so this is so roughly 70s early 80s yeah, so it's like roughly analogous to maybe Buck Rogers, the yeah. and it, the aesthetic feels like that. I think so. I think, I the, think the, the actual years it runs there is parallel with Blake Seven, right? Oh well, it, it must it have had a seasons. bit. Yeah, true. It it must have had a little bit of a higher budget than Blake Seven. I think though, I looking think at the had a bit of a higher budget than Blake. <laughs> yeah, to that's fair. a fair point. Yeah. I, no, um, fair point. <laughs> I can't believe there's two shows in a row Blake Seven's come up. <laughs> I loved Blake Seven. I no, was... It's quite funny. It just it came up with my talk with Steve Ashton. I was just that right age at school for when Blake Seven came out. Yeah. And to be pissed yeah. with me, mum, uh, can I stay up to watch Blake Seven every week? <laughs> my yeah. confession is I've still never watched all of Blake Seven. Don't, don't, no, don't no, come no. at me. No, but, I mean, no, um, what I was going to say is we're all available on YouTube. There we go then. The only thing I was going to say about the credit sequence is it's wonderful, it's divine. But because I think because of the age of the actors, they had to set in the 80s where it's mm. like looked a little bit earlier than that. It sort of looked more analogous for me to Star Trek kind of times. Yeah, with the yeah I think it did. But it needs to be yeah. the 80s, so, you know, you can forgive it that very easily. Yeah, I think so. It's like one of my early notes I wrote down was, ooh, the effects look a bit too good when it shows the show. Because I was thinking it was 60s. But then when it said 80s, I was like, go on, I'll give them a pass for that yeah, then. That's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, um, like and, America, you're probably closer with like your Buck Rogers and all that. Yeah. With when and like that, like, based. when you look at the crew, like you've got the, the smart kid stereotype, which that was Buck Rogers, wasn't it? That, that horrible second season of Buck oh, Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> Had a kid who was really clever. So I love yeah. that the, the drop in that. And then I suppose kind of a reference to wesley crusher maybe but hey, i took the book rogers thing well you, but, you regularly had a, a kid coming up in american shows like you even had it in a um, battlestar galactica with um, oh yeah was it well what was he called boxley Box, boxley yeah. yeah 
I but it was like a, a trend with a sci-fi show. You had to have a mm. in there. I think also, as we're going into the film, you've got to acknowledge just, like, the cast. Like, there were so many people oh. already established, and everyone else who wasn't already established went on to so many huge things. So you've got, like, Tim Allen at the height of his fame from uh, um, Home Improvement and mm -hmm. probably made the first uh, Toy Story by then. Probably, Spawny yeah. Yeah, yeah will have done. Icon of sci-fi. Alan Rickman has done everything, like, already at this stage. Um, and then you've got Sam Rockwell, who hadn't done that much at the time, but went on to do loads of stuff. Missy Piles in there, who appears in loads of other stuff as one of the aliens. It's just an amazing cast they put together for this. Yeah, it's brilliant. And like you say, it's one of them where when you watch it back, you're like, oh, it's him. He, or, you know, like oh, yeah, with yeah. Sam Rockwell, like you don't clock it when you first watch it because he wasn't Sam Rockwell at that point, but he goes on to become that. And it's Justin Long, isn't it? Who's the Justin Long. Um, though, again, I do have in my notes what happened to Justin Long because it, he was like huge for a, there was a period of time there and he was in everything and... And yeah, now I'm sure he's, he's doing fine. He shows up in Kev Kevin Smith films now. He was in the Wars movie Tusk, so he got sewn into ah. a war suit in that. And well, uh, you, you know what? He probably made his money, and now he's doing stuff that he wants to do for fun, which, good on him. Yeah. yeah. So early on, then, we get the catchphrases, like, oh, oh, you two have already given us the catchphrases, but never give up, never surrender, and buy Grabthar's hammer, which... I love how quickly it establishes who these characters are. Like, both within the context of the TV show, we get, okay, they're the characters they're playing. But then really quickly in that backstage scene at the convention, we get who the actors are that are playing them. You yeah, know, well, like... You get Alan Rickman is actually... Like you said, he's sort of the Patrick mm. Stewart parody. He's a... Um, big Shakespearean actor and all that and takes it very seriously and well he's also at the same time he does that but he also does um Leonard Nimoy uh denying he's Spock yeah, yeah. because he goes I'm not saying I'm not bloody saying that line and he goes out and they're playing it and he's there almost arms crossed kind of yeah and then you've got what? Tim Allen's character comes out and gleefully says the whole speech along with the uh, yeah yeah and i think that's where like we were talking about where they got to take liberties by not having it be the trek cast because i you know i don't believe william shatner would go to a convention and be able to rattle off loads of lines of dialogue and converse with people about what happens in what episode and all of that so the I, I'm not disparaging William Shatner in any way. I'm not intending to. But um, they, they make the character of Jason Nesmith a little bit more relatable, a little nicer than than at least what the public persona of William Shatner has been in recent years. And but I think that works better him, for this film. But when you saw him by, kind of being separated from the cast by buying into his own ego, <coughs> dare I say some have drawn that parallel with William Shatner. Obviously, I would <coughs> Yeah, I think that that's the part that they have taken from it, but they've kind of smoothed some of the edges over, shall we say. Yeah. Again, from what the perceived public persona is, I don't know the man in real life and I don't want to get you taken off the air. So, you know, we're not saying that this is accurate. This is just how we interpret things. But and one little touch I just want to uh, mention, which I noticed this time watching it, when they go into the lose where he overhears the people sort of mocking him, 
you've got the back of a couple of very obviously Klingons there. And it's just, you just see them from the back. And so they don't have to sort of justify that they're not Klingons or make them another race. It's so such a nice little reference because most people will miss it. But geeks like us, we will feed off that. We'll go, it's Klingons of the Urania. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's fan service before it, it had fans while yeah. they were making the movie. You can, tell, you can tell there's so much love for the original property in there at, whilst making it its own thing. Uh, James, I can't hear you. Can you hear James? I can't hear James. No, no one can hear you, James. It happened to be exactly the same point as I was just adjusting the volume. I'm like, what did I press? I was just pouring myself a drink and thought, have I spilled some? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I just noticed the deer in headlight look on your face, Elliot, and I was like, no, it's not me. <laughs> Am I back? Yes, you're back. You guys, there we go. Don't know. I got muted somehow. You know what? Did they did they actually add that to the dictionary the other year? The you're on mute because it seemed to be like the most popular phrase over the last <laughs> couple of years with us all getting used to this technology and everything. But no, I was just saying about the the way they portray conventions and convention goers. Like I think maybe a very occasionally in this film it leans a little bit too much towards stereotypes but i think it's all done with so much love and affection that it it never fully crosses that line into being offensive in any way but i think a lot of it's very very well observed the only thing i wasn't sure about and it's something that i've thought every other time i've watched this film is the cast turning up to the convention in the uniforms. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, Jack Quaid and Tony Newsom did that for Lower Decks. So yeah. we've, we've caught up with Galaxy Quest's vision of conventions now, you know. I was about to say, it's, uh, like this was done 1999. And I don't think as many people, or a wider sect of the population went to conventions as they do then. No. And, and the guests don't turn up in uniform. They're covered in normal clothes because oh, the reality is the actors. Oh, yeah. They also throw in, though, apart from the cast of Aloha Low, they will go to, to conventions in outfit, as I'll be talking yeah. uh, tomorrow morning to see Hodge at 11 o'clock. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it, I, I loved it. They all kind of went in their outfits. And you notice the German outfits maybe had got slightly customised to remove certain insignia. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, like, you know, the, the ones who were playing the French maids probably might raise a few eyebrows, but in a good way. But then you've got Heflick and von Schmalhausen walking around dressed like they're in the Gestapo. You know, all I'm saying is I'd want to get dropped off at the door of the convention if I was going, you know... <laughs> But yeah, as I say, though, we, we've caught up with it. Now we have had Star Trek actors go to conventions in uniforms. So maybe it was just it was more forward thinking. It was Brian Cranston went to uh, Comic-Con one year oh. and wore a Walter White mask. So he'd got a mask made up to look like his own face. So he walked around the convention hall dressed as himself. So he didn't get picked out. <laughs> Very, very clever. There's a point of him just lifting up the rubber mask going, <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Nobody believe you. If you bumped into someone at a convention, you'd be like, nah, yeah, that's a really good outfit. But nah, you're not him. Um, yeah. So obviously the twist to this film then is that 
the Thermians turn up and that that's the conceit is what if all of this is actually real and it's brilliant and it works like, uh, like there's been a lot of this stuff like we've always talked with like SETI and all that and you, and you used to get this quite a lot in the 90s but what about all the radio signals we're sending out mm. you're going to think about us and they're playing perfectly on that sort of absolutely almost at the time and the the actual concept of the thermians is a very star trek sort of idea like we've got this alien race who don't understand the concept of deceit so they they can't wrap their head around the fact that this is not real life that this is people pretending to be something they're not and that's that's a great idea and obviously it feeds into all of this perfectly because it gives us this great setup now a weird thing the bad guys have taught them the meaning of of lying and they've they've just got that rudimentary concept so the thought of trying to explain to them actors and everything it was just it was so nicely played so then you get that really that payoff moment when there's the emotional heft to it but yeah oh yeah it's and when we do get to that it's it's really quite heartbreaking when they have to explain it to them and they, they've, like, lost the heroes, you know. It's, yeah, it, it's so and, well done. And they feel really guilty, but you've got to think it's like, well, your actors have just been beamed onto a spaceship. They haven't actually really done anything wrong. But the no. guilt on their faces when they have, like, when um, Tim Allen has to explain that he was lying because he can't get them to understand acting. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not their fault, is it? But um, you know what though, they do all right in the end, all things like considered. Island and now they all sad. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> great. I mean, I know Gillian's well, Island you wasn't. You don't think that's real, do you? It's like, oh, those poor men and women. <laughs> I wonder what like the Thermians. They must have sort of put together what they believe to be our timeline. But if it's all drawn from TV, like, they must think this planet has had the weirdest development ever. Like, you know, that there's a, they were, you know, in the, in the 60s, they had this United Federation of Planets. And then it all went a bit wrong. And then, then there was Galaxy Quest. And then there were dragons and stuff flying around. Like, you know. And they caught an what? episode of the, the Magic Roundabout. They they really wondered what what creatures these are. Yeah, they'd be like, yeah, there must be cartoon people on that planet and real people as well. Who's and named after that? What's that? Oscar's middle. Oh name. yeah, our, our nephew. <laughs> yeah, his middle name Zebedee. That's, Wait, he he from Magic Roundabout. He was named. <laughs> he doesn't flaunt it that much, though, does he? He's not. He's not so... decided to be one of these people who goes by the middle name. I can't imagine why. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of minor actors who go on to bigger things, we've got Dwight off The Office as one of the aliens, of which course, or yeah. Rain Wilson, who obviously went on to play Harry Mudd in Star Trek Discovery, but this is one of his very, very early roles. So it is one of them where, like, oh, it's him. Oh, it's him. And I, mean, the band... I believe he was always a big Star Trek fan himself. So at the time, he must yeah. have gone, well, this is the closest I'm ever going to get. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Star Trek was still in production when this was made, but it was about to go into that fallow period where we didn't get oh, any Star Trek for a long time. No, we still had Voyager still going. That's yes, what I mean. It was still going, but we were sort of on the cusp of it no, going off for a while. Like, 
the fourth, fourth, sorry, the fifth series, series weren't there with Enterprise? Yeah, no, true. Like so, was, no, Star Trek was at a this time. But there was yeah, a gap before we got Enterprise, wasn't there? No, no, no they went straight ahead with it. The, the, yeah, there should have been a gap, I think, to, to think about it a bit more, but no, that's another conversation. And um, the baddie, Saris, as well, that's um, Robin Sachs, who may be best known as um, Ethan Rain in Buffy, who was like Giles's longtime friend slash enemy who kept turning up. But he's another one of these great, to, largely TV actors, but who's turned up in just about everything. And in here, he, he gives a good villain performance. But can we like call out the the prosthetics for Saris in particular, but also his whole species? Like, it's just such an incredible practical outfit that they've got him in. Yeah, and like you know, it's he's got like spider legs coming out of his head, and you know, there's so much unnecessary detail to that costume but it just adds to it so much yeah i mean usually films which were made around this time uh, especially now we've got like 4k and like uh, uh tv programs it would look so shoddy when you watch them on tv i don't think there's much you need to do to this at all no. to make it a, a modern film like you know you really the effects like just even the cgi way. is held up yeah which is which the, never held, held up well was it uh, Amiga 13? That That's a bit ropey, that graphic now. Yeah, but I mean, when you look at, like, th this was sort of a mid-budget film, um, and compare it to something like The Phantom Menace, which came out the same year, or even the first Mummy film, both of which used a lot of CGI, and I would argue that neither of the those films' effects hold up as well as this one's does, because... It's used sparingly, and they've used yeah. practical effects where possible. That's it. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the late nineties, especially, was so bad for using CGI, which just wasn't ready yet. Mm. And they were trying to use CGI, CGI way. You didn't need to use CGI. I mean, I still, I still love Babylon Five, but Jesus, mm. the the uh, CGI on that is ropey as hell. Uh, and just here, I again, it seems like a magic trick how well it, it stands up now. There's yeah, absolutely. I I was really pleasantly surprised by it. Like, I never, I always remembered it looking good, but I think it's aged very, very well when you yeah. consider some of the other contemporary films to it <laughs> that have not. Uh, but we're getting up to one of my favourite bits in the whole film now, where you've got the rest of the crew, apart from Nesmith, doing the uh, the opening of the shop, and he does his grab Thar's hammer. It's like, by grab Thar's hammer, what a savings. <laughs> and he's just so annoyed. And the other bit where all the guys are coming up to him at the convention and they're all doing their by grab Thar's hammer, and he just takes the thing off him and signs it and next. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Alan Rickman, we all know how great Alan Rickman was, but I do think this is one of his best roles. And, and I would throw into that that um, Alan Rickman quite often played these very deadpans, very sardonic roles, very uh, like bad guys or kind of very grumpy good guys quite a lot of the time. Mm. But everyone who spoke about him, he was just so uh, bullion and enthusiastic mm. and friendly to meet in person. It just shows you what an amazing actor he was. And 
he never sought to be the kind of like the hero role necessarily. He just kind of, he was happy with the good role. You know, many, many actors kind of go for the, uh, oh, I've got to have a redeeming arc. He was quite happy to be a nasty piece of work. No, yeah. yeah. He was such a nice guy. Well, it's the, I think he does get a, a, a good arc in this one and he does get his okay. hero moments and everything. Yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, it's almost that. sort of against type for Alan Rickman, isn't it? You expect it because... I mean, at the end of the day, he did Hans Huber and he did The Sheriff in Nottingham, which were back-to-back two of the greatest villain performances ever. So he was bound to get sort of stereotyped a little bit. But you know what? You shouldn't be so good at it if you don't want to <laughs> get asked to do it. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. This is It's it's nice to have a role where, even though he's playing it very kind of like cold for a lot of the movie, he's just a guy who's pissed off with being stereotyped into this one role. Um, it, it is nice that he does get the bit at the end where he kind of does the, uh, yeah. the turn. yeah. And um, this is a bit I thought Elliot had loved because Elliot, as again, anyone who doesn't listen regularly, Elliot builds starship models <laughs> and does an incredible job with them. And we often talk about the hero shots of the ships that we get in Star Trek or Dome, if we're talking about Discovery. Yeah. And we get a great hero shot of the ship here where we oh. first see that they've built it, and it's in a dry dock, which is very Star Trek. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, just think that's all great. And, 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 and this was CGI as well. Yeah. Which is what's amazing, that it's done the CGI and it still holds up like it does. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think you can see as well, um, we, Squee, you mentioned the Orville earlier on, there's definitely some evolution of design between the Protector and what we get in the Orville. The, there's definitely a lineage there, I think. I think that's the only other example where they've done something which, you know, Seth MacFarlane's not hidden the fact that he wanted to do a Star Trek show, he didn't get one, so he made his own thing. Mm -hmm. And it, but, but obviously there was heavy influences from next generation kind of era star trek but i think that's the only example which does what galaxy quest did no other show really did this kind of thing of uh having parallels <laughs> to everything to star trek but not being trek and yeah yeah, the, the yeah. I think is and i suppose the orville is kind of a natural successor to this but there has been talk on and off over the years about doing a sequel or doing a TV show actually based on the TV show within the film of Galaxy Quest. And I know they've done some comic books and things, but I think it's one of them that in a lot of ways it's not. Sorry. Every couple of years it comes up that it's going to be, there's going to be a sequel mm. or there's going to be a TV show. And here the surviving actors, yeah, we're up for that. And then it dies down again. And... Yeah, it's in a way, it's nice that it's this standalone thing that's aged so well and is, you know, it, it's just there. Whereas you can't help but feel that if this came out today, they, they'd already have the TV show greenlit and six prequels planned yeah. and uh, a spin off about the Thermians and, you know, a sitcom set at a convention and it'd just be this universe. But it's nice that this is just its own thing. And I think also it's like, it's it, it would have been a great idea, but again, the Orville's kind of done it. You know, it's, it's like, yeah. if you didn't know, I think it's a bit too late, unfortunately. But, uh, and plus, you don't have Rickman. I'm sorry, you're not got Rickman? I don't want to say No, that's yeah. it. You need, right. you need Dr. Lazarus. You can't. Yep. Uh, 
so when they get to the ship then the the i mean there's just such nice just little character beats like you've got sam rockwell who we know he had a bit part in an episode but he, he says like oh, i'm just so happy to be on the mission <laughs> and then you've got the the helm guy who he says like oh i had it all worked out i knew how it all worked and that feels like a callback to like will wheaton's talked quite a lot about how he had in his own head how all the buttons worked on the enterprise i think george takay did and i know that yeah, um it's not like you always go to the same places to do the same thing so yeah and um, the lady who plays ortegas in strange new worlds has said the same thing like she's got it in her head like i know if i press this then i press that and James Dewan, apparently, he got really, uh, not annoyed, but it, like he couldn't get this guy to understand because someone else came on the set and he was going, like, right, for the transporters, put this button down, you press this, you do this, and that's how it works. He goes, yeah, but it's not really working, so I can just do whatever. He goes, no, no, this is what I do every time, so that's how it works. And yeah. no, but, but it's not actually doing anything, so what's the matter what I press? And the guy just would not get it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's how it works. That's yeah, what you've got to do. I also love it with the way the councilman goes, hey, I think I figured this out. This press makes it go. This makes it stop. <laughs> yeah. And there are just so many little moments like that and everything. Like um, like when we get this confrontation with Saris and he does the the throat cut <laughs> gesture. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, but I, I, you know, we, we don't know how to actually turn the communications <laughs> off, you know, so... <laughs> So you get this great comedic scene where he's like, ah, so you think I'm stupid, do you? And it's yeah, all really good it. fun. You can't see past this thing. No, I was trying to tell you, you're still alive. <laughs> yeah. And then you get Alan Rickman's response to it. He's like, I'm off to find a pub. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. So that's why you need a bit on the bridge, that comment. <laughs> yeah. The and then the, the other bit where it's playing into the cliches, like you get the briefing scene where... They have to ask the computer a question. Then Gwen, Sigourney Weaver's character, has to ask the question. Then yeah. the computer answers. Then she has to tell them what it's said. And when they, they go, oh, can we stop doing that? It's annoying. She's like, look, I have one job. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. It still reminded me of when we were watching uh, one, one episode, for anyone who doesn't watch regularly, we did recently was Mirror Mirror. Mm. And... Uh, when, when I was watching it, I could have sworn that uh, it is filthy with Ahura. Ahura is all over that episode. She's in every scene. We watched it back. She's in like two scenes. But mm. it was kind of a credit that she was given so little and she was so memorable in it. And yeah. The poor, poor actress was in the same boat. She was given nothing. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely, it, it does feel like a play on. Like Nichelle Nichols once said, I felt like I spent three years just saying hailing frequencies open, Captain. And, you know, Aura did get a bit more than that. But certainly if you watch the episode, The Corbin Mike Maneuver, that is just about her only line, you know. And so, yeah, I feel like Gwen is taking that a little bit and running with it. But, yeah, that's great fun. And then you've got Guy, Sam Rockwell's character, who it, he's sort of approaching it on this meta level that he's like, well, hang on, I'm in the show now, but what is my role in the show? Yeah. And as they're going down to the planet, he's like, oh, I think I'm a red shirt. You know, I'm, he doesn't use that exact terminology, but that's kind of what he's saying. Like, we've got the main crew, 
and I'm here, so I'm the one who's not going to survive this encounter. Which well, is that was just... his role, wasn't it? In the, in the show, it was in episode 81, yeah. was it? And I went down to the planet and got killed. Yeah. And I, and... It, it, it was quite in keeping with the um, the humour of the Orville, actually, when like uh, one of the guys, no, wait a minute. What if you're not? What if you're the the plucky comic relief? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Make him feel better about it. Yeah, uh, there's a great line as well there where uh, as the landing, I think it's the helmsman guy again, and he says like, "Well, wait a minute. How do we know you can breathe the air on this alien planet?" And you're like, "Yeah, that's a good point. Like, it's amazing how many Class M planets they managed to find in Star Trek, but galaxies full of them. <laughs> yeah." Uh, and then, yeah, we get the, the cute little aliens and really small line and just a throwaway thing. But I think this was the first time I noticed it where um, somebody says something like, oh, I think they're, they're miners. And he says, oh, yeah, they look about three years old. And Alan Rickman says, no, miners, not miners. And then you've got Tim Allen's rolling around, which is obviously a very reference to William Shatner and his combat roles and everything. But it's one of where it's just completely unnecessary that he's doing these roles. And it, again, maybe it's forward thinking, maybe they predicted it, but it reminded me of all the so-called controversy over that guy in the Boba Fett series who did a spin unnecessarily. And I apologise if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about. If you Google it, Guy and Boba Fett who spins, and there was this thing where he, he just did a big whirl around to fire a shot, and there was no need for it. So, you know, th this was mock this came out in the 90s, was mocking cliches from the 60s, and we're still seeing it in the 2020s. So I think that maybe adds to the, the sort of timelessness of the show. Yeah. And then... We Oh, well, first of all, actually, before we get there, I know this is something we've talked about a lot on the show, and we're, we, this is going to be a good moment in Retrex history. Uh, we get the pig lizard, first of all, which, again, is a practical effect. They've made a puppet, and it, it, it just looks great having this actual practical thing there chasing Tim Allen around. But it all leads to something we've talked about no end, which is we get... A rock monster. Rock monsters. <laughs> <coughs> um, and just, just for anyone who doesn't watch, like this is what Shatner wanted for Star Trek Five, which yeah. he wrote. And apparently, that it was deliberate by the writers of Galaxy Quest that it it's a bit of a wink to the fact that Shatner wanted these rock monsters. <laughs> and so, effectively, we finally get someone who, to all intents and purposes, is Captain Kirk on a desert planet, taking on a rock monster. So, there you go. And you know what? If putting that rock monster in Star Trek V made this as good as Galaxy Quest, then, you know what? I'm, this point. Yep. If the, I, I mean, I think, I think Star Trek V needed a bit more work to get as good as Galaxy Quest, but... <laughs> If it had made it this good, then Shatner was absolutely on the money. We should have got the rock monsters. And okay, okay. I, I don't think, having seen Star Trek V, it would have turned out this way. I just get a feeling... No, maybe not. It might not have been satisfying. 
There's a lovely callback as well to the TOS episode, the arena where you get Sam Rockwell saying, look around, see what there is and construct a weapon. <laughs> yeah, you can almost hear the music. Dun, 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 yeah. Very much so. And also, um, Nesmith gets his top his top has to come off. And even when he gets back to the ship, Alan Rickman comments on it. So it's yeah, obviously... Uh, you had to find an excuse to lose your top. <laughs> yeah, Captain Taggart obviously shared that with Captain Kirk, that he lost his clothing unnecessarily. I also think that there, there's something they didn't signpost too much, which I kind of liked. It was just there. It was the fact that uh, by the end of it, Sigourney Weaver's outfit is... In, in all the right places. Yes. Yeah, very much so. It, it, um, yeah, it deteriorates as the show goes on. But it's, it's I just, mean, I like the fact they just put it there. They didn't feel the need to put a hat on a hat by mentioning it. Yeah. I mean, not, yeah. not to be that guy, um, but it also happens to Dr. Lazarus. Like, you know, Rickman's makeup, his own hair starts sticking out of it by yeah. the end. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I can't imagine for what reason it happening to Sigourney Weaver in this film and sticking your mind more than it happening to Alan Rickman. But we'll we'll leave that there. I don't know what it was about it. I, I think no, they just no. Like, oh no, she'll be catching the death of cold. That was my thought. Yes, yeah. of course it was. Yeah. yeah. And something to say about the the structure and everything in this film. First, it's just over an hour and a half which is the perfect length for it. Like, but you don't get films that are that length anymore. Like everything's two hours, two and a half hours now, or it feels that way. And it, it's quite refreshing to see a film that's willing to go, you know what? We can tell our story in an hour and a half. It's the perfect length. Get on with it. And when you look at the actual structure, not a, not a lot really happens in this film. So we've got the first section at the convention. They meet the aliens. They go to the planet and have the adventure with the rock monster. And then the minute they're back on the ship, Saris has taken over. And we're effectively into the final stretch of the movie. Yeah. There's just no downtime or time wasted or anything. And it's uh, it's really uh, refreshing to see it. I think yeah. a lot of uh, modern movies are unnecessarily long. Mm. Yes, and that you and you come out and you think that was really good, but why did it have that in it? And yeah, I can't remember the last film. And yeah, like I, I can't remember the last film that I've I've got the cinema, and you know we you always say, don't you, when you come out and say, oh, what did you think of it? And nine out of ten times, I always say, yeah, we're great. It, we could have lost about twenty minutes, and yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite examples of this is our black and white movie called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with uh, mm. Jimmy Stewart, James Stewart in it. Absolutely wonderful. And at the end, he's just done this very famous filibuster scene where he just stands up for um, like God knows how many hours. I want to say 24 hours just because I'm doing that now. But <laughs> he, he stands up and just talks to um, Congress. And if you do that in America, you can hold the floor for as yeah. long as you want. Oh, is it sen the Senate? I think it is, actually. Yeah, it's, you, then, no one's allowed to interrupt you as long as you're... Yeah. Yeah, so he says uh, he won't yield, but he only yields for questions, which you're allowed to do and keep the floor. But um, right at the end, he faints, and then Claude Rains, who's playing the bad guy who's set him up to, you know, be corrupt, to look like he's corrupt. You hear a gunfire when he tries to kill himself, but someone wrestles the gun from his hand, and then just the movie ends. It, it's mm. perfect. It's just... 
uh, Jimmy Stewart's name's been cleared. Claude Rains has been uh, disgraced. We're done. Mm -hmm. We're out there. And you could have very easily done another scene and it would still be good. But just the fact that it just ends like that is magic. Yeah. And I think this film has that they're just bowing at the convention and out. Yeah, that's it. Like, I, I did think watching it through this time, like, had this film come out now, you'd get something like 10 months later or something and you'd have a scene with them talking about it. Or, you know, you would, like you say, you wouldn't just finish the story, then done. It's it doesn't happen as often in in modern films. You'd have like you'd have that. You'd have sequels. You'd have everything. Else. Like yeah. the fact this was a one and done, I think is perfect because at the end of it they show the kind of continuing voyages of Galaxy Quest or whatever they called it. Well, yeah, the journey continues because it's um, after eighteen years off air, it's renewed and it's the time between TOS and TNG. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't think of that. Yeah, that's obviously deliberate then. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it's, lovely. It's very deliberate, but they deliberately go 18 years since it first... Since ah, it that's great. Yeah, I've never picked up on that. That's wonderful. And I can't um, help but think to do another one. You'd have to really shoehorn how it starts. Mm. Like, again, this has ended perfectly. That They're back on the TV show. They have this yeah. one adventure. Then you've got to have a good reason why they're put back in space. But yeah, it wouldn't. Thrown into better people, so you have to reset them as being jerks a little bit. It's, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe you'd have like the Thermians have made their own federation based on this, but they've not got it quite right. Also. I don't know. You, you know. This is why I'm not. Uh, after a season. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. This is why I'm not a writer. <laughs> I couldn't come up with something. I mean, few people can come up with something this, this good. But another thing, and you used to get this in the eighties and nineties. Movies weren't scared to have one movie. Yeah, the studios weren't scared to go. Right, we're making a movie. This is the story, and that's it. There's yeah. some merchandise to go with it, but there's no sequel. There's no. Yeah, one and, done. And through. now you've got to go in and you've got to go, yeah, I've got this script and he's the franchise to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, is your script any good? It doesn't matter. Here's <laughs> the franchise. It's okay. Um, so, yeah, the, there's a great scene between. Tim Allen and Alan Rickman, where they basically stage a fight so that they can escape from the uh, the holding cell. But I think and it, the arc, uh, sometimes it's not very subtle, but they do do a subtle arc throughout this film that Jason Nesmith, the actor, even though he only plays a commander, he's actually a good leader of people. Like He knows how to get the best out of his yeah. people. And he does this here with Alan Rickman's character because he's realising, oh, he thinks he's a really good actor. So I'm going to play into that and I'm, I'm going to make him be a good actor and let him show his skills there and it'll help us. So, And I also like the fact that that all comes to the fore after he's let go of his ego about it. So like uh, at the yeah. beginning of the film, he is the star of his own show. Everyone else was extras, basically. It was all about him and that's the character he's portraying. By the end, he's kind of learned it's like, yeah, if you just don't be a jerk and you use everyone to their best abilities, like when they're on the planet and he's delegating jobs, that's really nicely done. It just shows that yeah. he's kind of growing as the movie goes on. In fact, it even takes the other guys a while to catch up with the fact that he's not being a jerk because they're kind of resistant to him. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
No, absolutely. And he, he ends up calling Brandon Justin's long character for help. And that's kind of part of the redemptive arc, isn't it? So he kind of blew him off at the convention. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to go to him. For, and this is the only bit I do feel where it treads that line of, okay, are they, are they just taking the mick now out of Star Trek fans? But but I think they, they just are on the right side of it without being overtly patronising. But you do get this cliche of this lad who lives with his parents and... His whole life's a show and everything. Um, but it it is great fun how, well, of course the fans know how the ship works, but the actors don't, so they have to call yeah. the fan for actual advice on it. And they've even, like, kind of figured stuff out of what they, oh, well, look, you never explain what this device does, but what we figured out is it must be... Yeah, oh, when they're talking out. about the Omega-13, like, that's a lovely idea that, okay, the oh, show God. got... Sold on a cliffhanger, and so we never found. Did this, did this? Does this happen with shows? That's it. Like that. Used, it, that oh, it used to happen a lot. That they got cancelled on a cliffhanger. I think yeah, and got a bit better with it. That they tried to do with first seasons to start the full story. Yeah, and hope to get renewed and. They don't and do what, cliffhangers unless they're knowing they're getting renewed as much now. Yeah, like like what's clearly happened here is. Somebody's in the first episode, they've introduced this idea of the Omega-13, but because they got cancelled, they never had to think what it actually does. Like, we've talked about the best of both worlds before. They didn't know how they were going to resolve that cliffhanger. They thought, let's just build to this amazing cliffhanger, and we'll work it out later. And that's clearly what's happened in this show, which is why nobody knows what the Omega-13 is, which yeah, I just think is brilliant. What I like to think is that, there is at least one guy, and funnily enough, uh, in the wee hours, I'm going to be talking to someone who has worked on props and things from, from mm -hmm. Star Trek. But, uh, I like to think the guy who's working on the technical specs for it, he had worked out what he wanted it to do, and it's through some obscure tech manual which was produced for Galaxy Quest that, that they figured out how it works from like, yeah. well, it says here that it's built like this, it does this, so it must be to do this. Um, and you know, it's like Elliot is great at reading and and like memorizing all these bits about the ships and everything, and and it's an Elliot of uh, Galaxy Quest which has figured this out. Yeah, so it, if this ever happens to the real Star Trek, well, Elliot, it'll, it'll Shatner calling you for help rather than um, either of us two. Billy's welcome to call me anytime. I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, he calls me. I'm going. No, no, it's fine. I'll get Elliot on the line. It's, you know. Yeah. yeah, I'll be here for so, more support. And then we talked about it a little bit before, but it it's lovely how Alan Rickman's character, when the guy dies, he does do the Grabfar's hammer speech and he does it and means it because he knows how much it means to him. And that's just a great character act that that's like you said about Leonard Nimoy, that's going from I am not Spock to I am Spock. He's accepting what this character means to everybody. Yeah. And yeah, it's just lovely. Yeah, and then another great conceit as well is the the self-destruct doesn't actually do anything because the ship never blows up in the show, so it always stops at one regardless. Yes. <laughs> they figure out how to work. It's like, oh, my God, and then they're declaring, they're about to declare their undying love for each other. It's like it stops at one. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, like, even though it is primarily a comedy and everything, the action at the end, like the the bit where 
you know, where he, they've got the mines and he says, well, what you're forgetting, Saras, is my ship's dragging mines. And it is a proper punch the air hero moment, yeah. you know, even though this is a comedy. That's just a great beat of a heroic moment in the film. So yeah. it, it blends the tones so, so well. Yeah, you do get really invested in the drama of it as well as it just being an out and out yeah. comedy. Like there's, there's, it, no, there's not it, many it moments one without some comedy involved, but you invest. It is. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's a great movie on a lot of levels. Yeah, yeah the comedy doesn't it, undercut the fact that it's a good adventure film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you choose to watch it as a straight up adventure film and you just ignore the comedy, it's there. You know, it's a. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, like they always um, found it hard to say which genre it was. It's like, well, it's kind of romance. It's kind of sci fi. It's time travel. <laughs> it's got like uh, action. It's all these different genres. And I, this has got that kind of thing. And I think, again, going back to the idea that this might have been the original Star Trek cast, I think I think the joke would have been too in your face had they done that. And I think it would have been harder to pull off the actual fun adventure side of it. That's just my opinion. I think that would have been the risk yeah. that they would have run there. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, but the Omega-13 then. So Justin Long does say... Oh, well, some of us thought it was this. Some of us thought it reset everything by 13 seconds, and it turns out that that is actually right, which is quite lucky that that one turned out to be right, given what happens at the end, because you get that moment where Saris kills everyone, but they get to reset it and save the day. So it, I, it was I, lucky that whoever thought that was right. Something I do kind of enjoy, though, is um, the thing where there's, clunky exposition it's kind of fun sometimes to mm. just have a line like that and there's a line where um it's like oh so we think it might re uh, reset things by 30 yeah to turn back time by 13 seconds and uh tim allen it's just so obviously exposition goes like well i suppose it'll be just enough time to correct one error if you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, i wonder if that's going to pay off later but i think that's yeah. almost unknowingly here because it is a spoof it's almost spoofing within the spoof yeah yeah maybe i mean i'm i'm pretty sure if you wanted to be really sort of anally retentive about it all i bet if you timed it it's actually more than 13 seconds but you know what we'll let them go oh, God, we'll let them off like, with it oh we've just got Two minutes on the clock and then 10 minutes worth of films. I, I think um, Stargate, the original film, mm. that. they've got like, I think, half an hour and it takes an hour of the film or something like that. Yeah, it happened, and it, it happened it quite a lot in Star Trek so many times where they say like, well, yeah. the, the transport is set to beam us up in 30 seconds and then three and a half minutes later it does it and stuff. So, yeah, you know, it's one of them things. Uh, so the finale of the film then. The ship crashes into the convention, and there's a great scene where you've got the kids firing off the fireworks a little bit, almost kind of like E.T., I suppose, that. But this is going to change the human race. Like, there's no way no one else saw that spaceship <laughs> yeah, that coming. Spaceship <laughs> you know, th this is going to be big news. I mean, I know not everyone had camera phones and stuff in them. Well, camera phones didn't exist, but... You know, it wasn't like today where there'd be a million of it on YouTube, but somebody saw that happening. I'm sorry. I don't think we had camera phones back in 90. No, exactly. Oh, it would have just what? been stills. If <laughs> yeah. 
this is what I like about when they brought back Doctor Who in 2005 and Russell D. Davis just made the decision. It's like, look, we're just going to have huge events happening and we're just going to say that no one believed it and thought it was all fake to yeah. TV. And just yeah. he could have a Yeah, in. exactly. Of course, people would realise there was aliens at this stage. But he just goes, no, no one believed it. They're all too cynical. Yeah. Well, that's it. And you can get away with it in a, a film that takes this turn. Like the, the new Ghostbusters film, it's like... Oh, yeah, well, ghosts attacked New York in the 80s, but life just went back to normal after that, and most people have forgotten about it. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know? To be fair, if you look at major disasters and all that, it doesn't <laughs> take long for us to move on from them. No, it's true, yeah. But uh, I think things like the existence of ghosts or aliens <laughs> might have a bit of an effect on yeah. culture. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I think aliens will. Yeah, maybe. Um, so they do, they do like a horror movie cliche, like they do the final scare with Saras. And I love the fact that he does do his role and shoots it, and everyone at the convention just thinks it's fantastic. Like, yeah, you know, it's a great effect on stage. It's all part of the show, it's brilliant. And But then we do get Jason Nesmith's final redemption moment because he, he gets them all up to take the bow rather than it just being him and... You know, it's, 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 I, I don't know if this was intentional or if it, what, how the dates work out, but when I saw them all standing there, up there on stage taking their bow, it really reminded me of the end of Star Trek VI, where the Undiscovered mm. when they stand up on stage. I don't know if this yeah, is it could be. It's just something I thought. Yeah, you're right, actually. It does. Yeah, I'd, I'd not clock that, but I think you're absolutely on the money with it whether it's deliberate or not you can definitely see the parallel so it, it yeah. doesn't matter whether they did it on purpose but so it's again it's kind of like wayne's world let's do the mega handing so you know we do we get everybody's character acts the redeemed who needs to be sam rockwell gets to be on the new version of the show uh gwen and jason nesmith get together it's it's just the mega mega happy ending it was when Sam Rockwell, like when he goes entrance onto the bridge, like, hey, yeah, like right at the beginning when he's announcing, um, he's announcing it on stage and he does the reverb on his own mic, like he goes, Peter, 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 Quincy, 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 tagger, 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 tagger. It's yeah, he's great. I mean, Sam Rockwell's great in most things, but um, yeah, he's just brilliant in this, uh. Anyway, that was Galaxy Quest, which is, if you've not seen it, just go see it. It's in the UK. It's on uh, Channel 4, which is, a, you can get it on 4 On Demand, the free streaming service, the UK's largest free streaming service, as it will tell you repeatedly when you're watching stuff on it. But, <laughs> yeah, it's free. It's out there. Watch it. It's a brilliant film, whether you're a Trekkie or not. And it's been so much fun talking about it. Thank you for having us on, Doctor Squee. And... Thank you very much, Doctor Squee. Well, it's it's the the uh, spiritual home of Retrek. This is where it all started. It so uh, it's always lovely to have you, gents, back on. Uh, Absolutely. Just go, We've got um, our standard episode of Retrek coming on Wednesday. Uh, what are we yeah. going to be talking about, gents? We're going to be talking about the latest episode of Lower Decks, and I don't think we've officially decided yet which, because what we anyone who doesn't listen, what we what what we do with Lower Decks is we always watch the episode of Lower Decks and invariably Lower Decks will reference numerous episodes of Star Trek and we pick one of them to, to watch alongside it. So 
it will be lower decks and it's looking like probably one of the Leah Brams episodes. Not yeah, to give any yeah. spoilers as to what might or might not happen in lower decks. So <laughs> but yeah, we do that every Wednesday, six or six thirty usually. If you want to listen to more Star Trek, you can find us on all your your podcatcher of choice, I think is the phrase. And it, we also occasionally do some Trek news, and I think with all the goings on from uh, Star Trek Day, which was day before yesterday, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll cover a bit of that too. There's lots to talk about, but yeah, in the meantime, never give up, never, never surrender. surrender. <laughs> I will go to the credits in the second game, but um, uh, James, you're of course joining us tomorrow for uh, the oh yes, presents Mad Max to uh, Road Warrior. Yeah, Mad Max 2, another film that's nicely an hour and a half, so we get to talk about, yeah, we'll be there 9 o'clock tomorrow morning with a few friends of mine, and we're going to be talking about another film, bit of a different tone to Galaxy Quest, we're we're doing Mad Max 2, Um, so if you want to tune in for that and hear what we've got to say... We'd love to see you. Back for Wrestling Top Trump. So uh, James gets to see me at the midway point and then at the complete exhaustion point. So you get the three on this. I'm just checking in on you every few hours. You know, you can't be left to your own devices. You do crazy things like 24-hour podcasts. So I've I've got to keep checking back in on you. Yeah, why do I do these things again? (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. Charity. Charity, that's it. So uh, I'm going to play the exit music if you want to give your outro, sir. Yeah, oh, I've already said never give up, never surrender. Um, oh, okay. By Grab Fast Hammer, what a podcast.